Amen. Let's pray. We love you, Lord, because you have heard our voices and our pleas for mercy. Because you have inclined your ear to us, we will call on you as long as we live. Father, the world around us is walking on crooked paths. When our spiritual vision is clear, we see the futile efforts being made by our fellow humans to find value and meaning and certainty in anything but you. Why do they seek value in accumulating treasures that will not last? You offer an imperishable inheritance. Why do they settle for meaning found in an earthly identity? You call us to a heavenly identity found in you. Why do they think there can be certainty without the one who spoke the cosmos into existence? You are the one who made order out of disorder. You are the one who keeps all things together. Our inheritance, our identity, and our existence are gifts from you, our good and loving creator, God, and king. And we call on your steadfast love for forgiveness, where we have walked on crooked paths. Bring clarity to our spiritual vision so we can see that sin carries the seed of our destruction. But you offer joy and pleasure, the likes of which the world cannot imagine. If only we would place ourselves in your loving care. If only we would walk on your holy paths, paths you have prepared for us, paths you will walk on with us. Lord, grant us peace and protection from COVID-19. Help us to be wise in how we live. Bring provision when we are affected financially and help us to be gracious with one another. Keep the enemy from using a virus to infect our love for one another. Help us to be intensely united around our calling from you to be an assembly of people praising you together, hearing your gospel preached together, and being sent to bring the royal announcement to the world together. In our spiritual service of worship together, we now turn our attention to the preaching of your word. Let our hearts be moldable in your hands that we would be the implements of grace, mercy, righteousness, and justice in your world. We submit to your will and we set aside our own. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Ryan. You guys can have a seat. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah 8, 11 through 17. Isaiah 8, 11 through 17. I hope that you all had a wonderful time celebrating the birth of our Savior on Friday. It was awesome to worship with you, those of you who were able to make it and uh, prepare our hearts for that uh, on Thursday evening as we worshiped him for remembrance of both the incarnation and the cross and resurrection. And now we find ourselves at the last Sunday of December in 2020. Yay. <laughs> and that's already, I'm going to have to pay him later, that's already kind of feeding into what I was going to talk about because as I noticed at Christmas Eve, and as I said to all of you, I felt and feel a bit of mixed emotion because I do confess to you that I can tell that I've placed hope in the idea that within 2021 there will be a change and that life may get back to some semblance of normal. Can I confess that to you? At the same time, I logically know that life will go on as it always has. 2021 will probably be like most years. It'll have a bit of negative, a bit of positive. And for the first few months, it most likely, if not more than that, it most likely will look just like 2020. What a downer, Hans, huh? Well, does that mix of emotions resonate with any of you in the room? 
Yeah, a few of you? But I think the timing of this Sunday is great because we are just a few days away from January 2021, and uh, the society around us is very much Greco-Roman still, and so we have a month named after the god Janus. That's why it's January. And the god Janus was a mythical god who had two heads, symbolized by two heads. He's the god of doorways, gates, passages, and those two heads are to show him looking forward and to looking back. And so it's the start of a new year. And so in our culture, it's often a time of pause to look back and to look forward. And we just finished our exposition of the gospel according to Mark. And so it has even greater meaning to us as we are moving into this month of January and starting our exposition of the prophecies of Daniel. Now, all bets are off as to whether or not we can predict what the surrounding world will look like in 2021. All bets are off, except that we can probably be, be assured that it's going to be somewhat chaotic, right? We can be sure of that. But what I'd like to do this morning is set a bit of a vision of what I would like us as a church to focus on as we engage 2021. And this will actually kind of set up Daniel a little bit. I think it is wise for us as individuals and families and churches to ask the question of what our vision should be in the upcoming year, to focus on it, to purpose to do so. Because 2021 will start in that chaos, and I don't want us, I don't want you, to be caught unaware of our subconscious, unspoken expectations that have the possibility of causing both internal and external conflict. You see, if we have this idea that 2021 will be all a bed of roses, and we enter into it, and it goes better, or excuse me, worse, <laughs> or the same. You can see how I have, so, that was a Freudian slip there. It'll go better, see, right? But let's say it goes worse or stays the same. Those of us in this room who don't know that our expectations are such, we will start to go, well, wait a minute, where is God? And so as your pastor, I want you to fight against that, and I want you to be purposeful about how you think about entering this year. Now, Lord willing, we will enter into the book of Daniel, and uh, if the Lord should come back first, I'm good with that, but if he doesn't, we'll be in Daniel from January through May. And so as I was preparing over the last month for entering into Daniel, I came across a passage in Isaiah, this one that we'll read this morning, that I wanted to share with you because I think it is a great word for us as believers and us as a church. So would you turn with me, if you haven't already, to Isaiah 8, 11 through 17. And what I hope that this message will do for us is provide us with a bit of vision for the next year. I want to look at 2021 at Mission, Rising Above the Chaos and Honoring Christ as King. And so that's what I've entitled the sermon this morning, Rising Above the Chaos and Honoring Christ the King. Now you might say, Hans, this is repetitive. You talked about this in Matthew 13 and at the end, or Mark 13 and the end of Mark. Well, Anybody who's ever trained or taught anything knows that you have to repeat things in order for it to get in there. And I know for my heart and mind, we need to be reminded of this. So I think this will put us in a really great heart and headspace as we enter into the introduction of the book of Daniel next week. So let's begin by reading from Isaiah 8, 11 through 17. For the Lord, Yahweh, spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying... Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony 
seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Let's begin with painting the context of this passage before we jump into it. Can you believe, those of you that have been here since Isaiah, that we looked at this passage a little under four years ago? Whew, time flies when you're having fun. At this point in the prophetic ministry of Isaiah, Judah is in chaos. The kingdom of Judah is in chaos. And I mean horrific political turmoil inside and out that makes 2020 look like a cakewalk. They had the impending threats of Syria and Israel aligned together, and after that, the threat of Assyria coming down upon them. But they didn't realize that. First, the alliance of Syria and Israel was breathing down their neck. But in just a few years, that alliance would be wiped out by the kingdom of Assyria coming in from the east, a bigger superpower. And so if we look at the alliance of Israel and Syria, they were kind of like a yipping chihuahua in comparison to Assyria, who was like a hundreds of pounds black bear about to come through the front door, right? And so what they thought to themselves was that they could create an alliance with Assyria in order to fight against Syria and Israel. That was going to be a bad idea, as we'll see. Now, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, he is scrambling to figure out a solution. His world is so rocked that he begins to move in a way that is completely contrary to Yahweh, aligning with Assyria. Uh, he's started to lead the people into their false gods and has begun creating uh, a space for them to think it's okay to align with this pagan nation. And it becomes a slow but sure fade where Israel, who is called to be God's people among the nations, starts to look and act just like the other nations. Now, through Isaiah, God was constantly offering help to King Ahaz. He's saying he would lead the, if he would lead the people to look to Yahweh and stop falling in the fear and chaos around them, God would support him and build him up. But this was the one thing that Ahaz and all of Israel, all of Judah, excuse me, would not do. They were doing everything else, but not this one thing. And that should resonate with us a little bit, right? When stress starts to hit us, when we see the chaos around us, how many of us fall to our knees first and foremost, or do we put that on the back burner and start to try and figure out other ways to control the chaos and help with the stress? In our text today, Isaiah, on behalf of God, will speak to the people of Judah and will again warn them against having confidence in their alliances and their political intrigue rather than God. So let's unpack it and see if this is relevant to this upcoming year. First, we see that Isaiah is telling the people do not follow the spirit of the age. Do not follow the spirit of the age. And he breaks this down into three subsections. Now, this is written to a particular people in a particular time, and as we talk about often, the three most important things when studying Scripture are context, 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 right? So it is for these people in this time, but I think it still has great truth for us today and great application. Isaiah points to these three subsections. Let's take a look at them to see what he means by do not follow the spirit of the age. That's my summary of what he says. First, he says very clearly, do not walk the way the world walks. In other words, do not act the way the world acts. In Christianity, we use this word walk a great deal and maybe often don't know why. We get locked into that kind of christian easy or Christian-cheesy language, as I, as I like to call it. And we, we talk about our walk a lot. But maybe you don't even know why you use that word. When you talk about walking here, it is really speaking to having the same goal and destination. 
walking together on a common journey. It has the, the, the implication of alliances contained within it. If I'm getting ready to go to Seattle and I have a good friend who I'm in relationship with ready to go to Seattle and we find out about it, we can do what in order to save on gas? What can we do? Carpool, right? We can align and say we have this common goal, common destination. We're both motivated to go. Let's jump on board and go together and we'll have discussion. It'll be great, right? But if I have a friend who says I'm going to Boston and I say I'm going to Seattle, are we going to align? No. And maybe it's that somebody says, I'm going north, and you say, you're going north, and so you get in the car and you start going, but you realize partway there, they may have been going north, but they were going to end up in Moscow, Idaho, and you're going to end up in Seattle. So the first couple steps look like they're the same, but eventually you end up in a different place. And so this implication of alliances is contained in this idea of walking. When we talk about walking in the way of Christ or in the way of the world, it is saying that you are traveling on the same path as Christ, towards glory and oneness with the Father, and ultimately, all things for his glory. Or you could be traveling on the path towards destruction and isolation from God's goodness, like the world. It seems simplistic, but a very simple check for us as believers is to ask the question, what differentiates me or us from the world? What differentiates me or us from the world? In other words, when a non-believer comes to your house or sees you around town living life or hears how you spent your time or your weekend, what differentiates you from the rest of the God-dismissing public? Are you different in how you operate in relationships, in how you steward your money, in your goals in life, in how you view sexuality, in your thirst for truth? Notice how Scripture tells us to not walk in a similar way to those in the world. Here's a couple of Scriptures for you. First of all, from Proverbs 4, 14 through 19. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence." But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is, the deep, is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And we might look at this and think, oh man, that's terrible. That's like people who commit genocide and rob and murder and do all, all this stuff. But guys, remember that when the Bible talks about wickedness, it's talking about who you worship or what you worship. And so even if you're a person who morally may look different than maybe somebody who's committing tons of crimes, the Bible is still saying that you're wicked because your ultimate goal is not God's authority but your own, okay? So it says that. Now compare that to, let's look at Psalm 1, 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 4. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, doesn't walk with them, right? Right? nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So if you're in the in the way of the wicked, you're going to be torn to and fro depending upon what goes. You're going to be blown around depending upon what's happening around you. But if you're standing in the delight of the law of the Lord, you're going to stand firm and feel that provision and you're going to show fruit in your life. And so the question for us is, 
Are we walking in the way of the Lord or the way of the world? And the follow-up question is, how do you know? What's your evidence? It's a great question to ask in those discipleship groups of yours. How am I, am I walking in the way of the wicked or the way of the Lord? And how do I know? What's my evidence? It's a good thing to question. Well, that's the first subsection within the do not, uh, do not uh, walk the way that the world walks. Secondly, though, the second subsection of that is do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy. Now, this is a subsection or a parallel to walking in the way the world walks here is conspiracy. Now, have you guys noticed how conspiracy has seemed to just exponentially explode this year? There are numerous reasons why this is, but the reality is, is that we are surrounded by conspiracy on all sides of the opinion spectrum. All sides. It doesn't matter where you find yourself ideologically. Now, the interesting word, uh, the rich, interesting thing about this word conspiracy is that in the Hebrew, it specifically talks about joining together in alliances. Now, Isaiah was preaching against aligning with Assyria because he knew that in not doing so, or that in doing so, they would be beholden and submitted to them and their false worship and principles that went against the worship of Yahweh. And this is why you might hear me on one Sunday say, don't follow this one group or party. Why? Because falling totally in line with them is going to mean you're beholden to their ideals. And the next week you might say, well, Hans is on the other side of the spectrum because I'm saying don't fall in line with the other party or group. The reason for that is you're going to have to fall in line with their ideals. And so these Israelites that were more aligned with politics than with worship were upset with Isaiah for what he was saying. Gosh, I don't know what that's like at all. It's <laughs> a joke, guys. Sarcasm. Dear brothers and sisters, we have to be people that stands bipartisan, not only in things of a political nature, but in all things that might detract from our mission of proclaiming the gospel. The reason for this is not weakness or ignorance, but because our only alliance must be with Yahweh through his Son, Christ. Do you realize the second you align yourself with a group, you have lost your ability to evangelize with the gospel to half of the people you're talking to? Alliances that draw us away from the Lord, whether they be political parties whose sole goal is power and not holiness, or family members who have idolized family above following Christ, or friends who are so apathetic in their faith or who have no faith at all that they start to draw us away from Christ. And so we need to have a discerning eye. We have to rise above all these things to be able to follow through on our mission of preaching the gospel. Friends, as your shepherd, I am jealous for you with a holy jealousy to fight for some of you and break you free of your political ideology and philosophical ideology that seems to come before your worship of Christ. Because worshiping Christ by his word will mean, dear friends, that you do not fit into a box of ideology other than Christ following. A follower of Christ cannot serve two masters. A follower of Christ cannot serve two masters. 
If you are first and foremost a liberal, or first and foremost a conservative, or first and foremost a Democrat, or a Republican, before you are a Christian, you will slowly fade from Christ, and it's already started. Don't fall into the conspiracy traps the world sets for you, because if you do, you will act in fear of something other than Christ and his commands. This is why when some of you bring conspiracy theories to me, it looks like I'm dead behind the eyes. Because I'm looking at you thinking in my head, seriously? You're seriously buying into the conspiracy? So ask yourself this question. And maybe you can ask others around you for their opinion, because usually we're blind to this idea ourselves. This year, ask yourself, have I been so consumed with Christ and his commands that that's what people have heard from me? Or have you been so consumed with issues of politics and masks and conspiratorial views of what's happening around you that that's what people think is the highest priority to you? And if you want to check, just go back through your own social media feed and take a quick gander at what has been the primary message you have been proclaiming. Is it Christ, dead, resurrected, enthroned? Or is it a political opinion? Have you been more consumed with the witness of Christ and the holiness of his people shown during this time, or personal freedom, or social justice? If you have some conviction around this right now, I want you to ask yourself, what practical steps can I take in 2021 so it's a year of focus upon Christ and his commands, regardless of what's happening around me? And this rolls right into the third thing that Isaiah warns about. Thirdly, he warns, do not fear what they fear. When we operate in a worldly fashion, we like to say that those who disagree with us are living in fear. How do I know this? Because those of you that are pro-mask in this church say that other people are operating in fear. What? Fear of losing power to other people. Those of you who are anti-mask have told me, oh, well, everybody who wears a mask is operating in fear. We always like to demonize people who disagree with us. That's why we need to focus on the gospel and let the other stuff rest. The world always fears something, but the only thing that Christians fear is Christ, is God the Father. And that is why we should do what we do to follow his commands. We might ultimately be wrong in how we play this out, but that should always be our goal and motivation. Friends, the world fears death and war and plague and political intrigue, loss of personal freedoms and rights, someone who disagrees with them, assuming more power than them, discomfort, suffering, and on and on the list goes. But in the context of today's text, we see that that is not what God's people should fear. Look at how Ahaz and Israel are described in the context of today's passage. This is Isaiah 7-2. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, this is Israel and Syria, Ephraim is another name used for Israel, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. But all of these fears that I just listed have been destroyed by God and his plan of salvation because all of these are only temporary. Now, I've been really careful of the last nine months because I want people to know who are vulnerable, invulnerable populations that we support them and we want to keep them safe. And obviously, we've done the restrictions in this church 
to try and be peacemaking and, and keep restrictions in place so we can be wise. But friends, I just have to say this. We've got to stop being so scared of this pandemic. We have to stop being scared of this virus. Guess what? If the virus doesn't kill you, something else will. So who are you to be fearful of? God. Stop letting the pandemic set all of your priorities and make all of your decisions. This does not mean we discard wisdom. This does not mean we are lax in what we do. This does not mean we stop loving the vulnerable. But man, we've got to stop being fearful of this pandemic. It's as if we're paralyzed. What are we supposed to be fearful of? God. You know, it's interesting in some of the older commentaries, it's a little shocking. You read along, and what does it say? It calls God this description of being awful. Have you ever seen that in some of the older writings? Our awful God. Why? What is it talking about? That he is, he, those who look to him and are in reverence of him are full of awe. That's why he's an awful God. Not awful in a negative term, but we should be in awe of him to the point where he is all we fear. We will see this in great detail in the book of Daniel. Daniel and his three friends were in exile. They'd lost their identity. They'd lost their personal freedoms, their temple, and much more. And yet, even in the midst of all that chaos, they did not fear what the world fears. They were headed to a fiery furnace. They're like, whoop, okay. Christians are to be those that rise above the fear. We are to be those that rise above the chaos and conspiracy because we have already been told how this all ends. And this is yet one more reason why we rejoice around the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his death on the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sins and brought us salvation and forgiveness. In his re resurrection from the grave, Jesus showed his power over sin and the power of the Father over death. In his ascension and pouring out of the Holy Spirit to his people, he ensured us of our connection to him and gave us the down payment the guarantee of eternal life. And in his current reign through his people, the church, we see that the world can rage around us, but it will never defeat God's plan for restoration and redemption. Can I get an amen? amen. And in his promise to return that is backed by the evidence of his resurrection and existence of his church, we have assurance that all of these things the world fears are only temporary. Christ will come again. He will bring restoration to renewed heaven and earth. And so we have nothing to fear. And so we can walk in stark contrast to the world. Now, if you're a person in here who thinks that you are anxious and fearful and that there's nothing you can do to stop it, I want to empathize with you. Many of you don't know this, but I am an extremely anxious person. I am anxious about everything, literally everything. There's not a day that goes by where I don't go, am I having a heart attack? right? My hypochondriasis factor is super high. I constantly think I'm sick, that I'm going to die, right? Honestly, the pandemic has been a little bit nerve-wracking for me. I find out that somebody knows somebody who has the pandemic. Guess what I do? I get on my knees because I'm like, oh God, please don't let it come to our church, right? So I'm right there with you. I, I exist in being frightened and fearful and anxiety, probably more than most of you in this church. But that doesn't mean we cow to it or fall to it. The reality is, is that we are going to fear something, as I'll talk about a little bit more here in a second. The word is clear 
that you don't fight that fear, you put it in the right place. And if you press into Christ and his word and truth, you will grow in your understanding of peace. Look at this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. We will find our peace in him as we engage in that reverence and honor, that holy fear, and love the Lord our God. The fact that Isaiah starts out this section that we are reading this morning with the phrase, the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me, makes these do not statements mandatory for his followers. It's not optional, but Isaiah is calling us to, or telling us that God has proclaimed these statements with what one commentator calls a compelling sense of a divine word to obey. Because instead of falling into the way of the world, we have something far greater to which our lives are to be given. We are to honor the Lord of hosts as holy. Honor the Lord of hosts as holy. Isaiah goes on to say, after laying out on the table these do not statements, he goes on to say the other option. Rather than walking in the way of the world, honor the Lord of hosts as holy. And this is the phrase that I hope will describe Mission Fellowship and each of us within Mission Fellowship in 2021. Remember that this name, Lord of Hosts, or Yahweh Tzavot, is a name that has military and regal connotations. It speaks of his power, that behind him is the power of the armies of heaven. And this fits well because Isaiah says, he is the one whom we are to fear and who is to be our dread. Why? Because if we are acting against him, we should be in fear, and he should be our greatest dread, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? When you, you kind of cruise along, and you hit that stop sign, and you're like, you know, this one's a ridiculous stop sign. I don't need to follow what I've been told. I'll just roll right through it. And then you see something spark out of the side of your eye, and you think, oh, man, are Dallas or Steve right behind me about to pull me over? At that moment, Dallas and Steve become my great fear and dread <laughs> because I don't want to pay that ticket. When I knew that I should have just stopped and obeyed the authority in the first place, right? Well, it's the same thing. Dallas and Steve are my good friends and I love them dearly, but when they are in a position of authority to bring the natural consequence for my action, like God, they are my fear and dread. Now, when we read this, this idea of God being our fear and dread, you, did you hear the Western culture record scratch to a halt? In the American church, we've worked so hard to make Jesus kind and sweet and relevant, which is true, that's, that's partially true and not bad, but we've done so to such an extreme that we've often lessened the truth of his majesty. And Isaiah is saying he should be our fear and dread. And guys, this is because, as I said a minute ago, we as humans, we always fear something. We're built to be fearers. And I wonder if one of the reasons the church has set many people who suffer from ongoing anxiety and fear up for failure is that they wrongly tell them that Christians should just not have any fear or anxiety. What's wrong with you? Just get rid of the fear. Just stop it, right? This great psychological counsel as a therapist, right? You go in and they say, stop it, right? That's helpful. Well, instead of that, it's not that anxiety and fear is, is supposed to disappear. It's that it's supposed to be placed in something else. 
It is based in the holiness of God and the desire to respond to the grace, mercy, and love of Christ in such a way that it gives us a mentality of being wise and careful. Now, I don't know if, if you guys know this, right? I've already told you about anxiety, but the person I fear the most in this church is, is yes, the elders, but not so much the elders as much as my wife. Do you know why? Because that five foot seven, small, beautiful, blonde woman, if she says to me the words, I am so disappointed in you, any of you men could come up and punch me in the nose a thousand times and it would not match the pain I would feel of my wife saying I'm disappointed in your character. I have fear and dread of my wife. Now what does that do? Does that make me walk around on eggshells all the time around her? No, not at all. But it does make me go, man, I want to be the man that she can say to me, man, I love your character. I'm proud of your character. It drives me in a direction that is positive and good and optimistic. And this can eventually bring peace because the more we regard God as holy and press into him, the more we will see the fruit of our relationship with him by his Holy Spirit. And the more assured we will be in the closeness we have with him as loving father. Recognize that this fear is not based out of abuse. It's not based out of misplaced authoritarianism. It's based out of righteousness and holiness. And so this idea of the fear of the Lord is one of giving honor and respect while also realizing his character of love and faithfulness. And look at this balance struck by the psalmist as they write about this. Psalm 115.1, it says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. They're focused on giving glory to him, honor to him because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. And it's balanced out with this idea of fear of the Lord. This is Psalm 118.4. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. I hope that my kids have a certain sense of fear and dread, not because of abuse or because of misplaced authoritarianism, but because they know when I'm acting in the Lord in a righteous fashion of loving authority, I will make sure that boundaries are enforced. Nothing abusive, nothing out of anger, but out of loving righteousness. And I hope they'd be able to say at the same time, that's because dad has a certain sense of the love of the Lord that's steadfast and faithful. And that's what we mean when we talk about the fear of the Lord. In our main text today, Isaiah picks up on this balance because to those who fear him, he will be a sanctuary. But a sanctuary is only safe to those who revere the one who inhabits it. To anyone else, it becomes a place of destruction. Just think of the high priest who would need to ritually cleanse himself before going into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. If he was not truly cleansed and had not fully confessed, he would fall over dead. Why? Because the holiness of God was so powerful that it just would destroy impurity. Or think of the person who is pursuing Christ. To them, the person who's walking in complete humility, even this warehouse turned into a sanctuary will be a place of rejoicing and peace and comfort and safety. But to the one who is secretive in their sin and in active rebellion against God, this place becomes a place of suffering because of the conviction that's felt when you're here. I don't know about you, but I hate being around all of you when I'm acting unholy. This is the last place I want to be. And so I'll start to draw away. So how do we avoid that? Well, this is why Isaiah states that God will be this sanctuary or a rock of offense and a trap. He's talking about his holiness. 
The world walks down the path of destruction, and God is so gracious. Because rather than just leaving them this empty path, he's placed his holiness in the center of it like a giant rock in the dark. And so what happens? They decide to walk past or over his holiness, and they slam right into it and trip and stumble as they head to destruction. Man, why is my life so upside down? What happened? I, I just stumbled over something. And if they don't pursue the Lord, they'll keep on going and stumble again. So how do we avoid this stumbling? Well, we make our lives about honoring Christ and his holiness. And so Isaiah is commanded to bind up the teaching among true disciples. To bind it up means to protect it and seal it means to make it stay intact so it's not adjusted or changed. And the disciples are the ones being instructed because to be a disciple means to be a learner. In 2020, it's been an interesting year where many of the chaotic pressures around us that have resulted in political divisions have started to affect the church as well. What is preached in the church is affected, and what is a priority in the church has been affected. Some churches have gotten so wrapped up in the election of officials that you can't tell whether you are at a church or a political pep rally. As we go through Daniel, I hope this idea will be quickly convicted, and many in our body will come to the conclusion that Christ does not side with any political or worldly ideology or nation. If you want to be a patriot, honor the parts of this country that are God-loving and honoring, and detest the parts of this country that are God-dishonoring. That's a patriot. He is not in favor of one nation over another, but came to produce what Peter called a holy nation. This is the nation God cares about. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, all of you who are conservatives in the room are mad at me right now, so let me go to the other side. Other churches have become so enthralled with the social justice gospel that the gospel message of God providing us forgiveness from our sin and drawing us into his kingdom has been put on the back burner so that other messages and issues can be at the forefront. Now, to be clear, God does care about justice and righteousness. Some of the issues that are lifted up as primary in the social justice gospel will eventually come out of the true gospel as it's preached as a result of changing hearts and minds and their result in social structures. But friends, the order matters. We will not usher in the kingdom of God by our good deeds. And at the same time, we are required to work good deeds so that the world has an understanding of what the reign of Christ and righteousness and justice looks like. And so remember how I talked about walking together? There are points in 2020 where Christians and total atheists look kind of similar. Why? Because they're both acting for justice. But dear friends, one will end up in Boston and the other in Seattle. One professor I had at Western Seminary described it as being, quote-unquote, co-belligerents during this time of cultural unrest. Christians are standing with people who do not have the same worldview, God, or authority, and fighting for certain changes in our world. But they are doing so for very different and distinctive reasons. Realize that in the mind of most of what is, uh, in the midst of most of what is going on right now, certain people are fighting for changes because they want to be the Lord of their own life. That's why many people fight for quote-unquote social justice. We are fighting for justice in our society and for these changes because they reflect the justice 
of the God we serve and because we submit in bended knee to the Lord of lords and King of kings. So while our actions may be similar in some ways, our motivation and ultimate goal is completely different. If the gospel is not what spawns your social justice, you will end up far away from the gospel. And so we must be wise about who we are honoring, who we are aligning with, who we are joining in with, and to what extent, because our ultimate motivation and goal is to honor the Lord as holy. So in 2021, we are going to continue to preach the gospel, teach one another who Jesus is and what he requires of us, and equip us as individuals and a church to live amongst a world in chaos, but at the same time rise above it all to honor the Lord as holy. And hopefully I've done enough equal opportunity making you mad at me in your political spectrum that you can see that the goal is not politics, it is Christ. Our Sunday gatherings will be a huge focus because, as I've noted in the blog post I've written on our website about why we gather, it needs to be the baseline in which we are not only preaching the gospel, but by the gathering and participation of the church community, we proclaim the gospel in our actions. We will be moving through Daniel first and then roll into the book of Revelation. In Daniel, we will get detailed understanding of what it is to be God's people in the midst of a world that is not our own and how to rise above the chaos and conspiracy. In Revelation, we will see that Jesus rules over the church now and forever, and we can be assured that no matter when the end comes or no matter what comes in general, even if it seems the very mountains are falling down around us, Jesus will be victorious and we are safe in him. I want to encourage you to make these gatherings a priority. And if you've been away during COVID, I want to invite you back and call you to take part in our gatherings with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as soon as we are able, we will slowly but surely lift the restrictions. But in the meantime, we will persevere as we have been, knowing that it is for a season and be wise in how we use them. Now, we've also added Sunday seminars this year as a way to additionally equip all of you to honor the Lord as holy. I've tried to focus these classes on issues that need clarity in this chaotic and confusing world, issues like biblical parenting, biblical sexuality, a biblical look at racial reconciliation, honoring Jesus' church and how to make it healthy, emotional health in the midst of our spirituality. And I hope that these are useful tool, tools to you and that you take them seriously as a means to grow in honoring the Lord in your life. Lord willing, we will also be growing our small group ministry and making it more healthy and organized. We've been going with the flow as more and more people have come over the years, and we're at a size now where we definitely need more organization, and our small group ministry needs some love and attention to be even more effective than it already is. Lord willing, we will jump into this. It's in these groups that we will meditate on the word together and grow in the practice of loving one another and serving one another. In all these ways, we hope to found ourselves on the gospel and the excuse me, the teaching of God's word so that we can all be taught and equipped as disciples of Christ and sent out into the community to focus on evangelizing the lost. Now, all my passion here around wanting to get in focus of the Lord as holy, I want you guys to recognize that you guys are an awesome church. In essence, when I'm saying we need to regard the Lord as holy, I'm saying let's keep much on the same path we have been. 
Your hard work in growing through many changes and adjustments over the last three years has been so fruitful. And I get a front row seat to it, so thank you. We have overall weathered 2020 as a united church, loving one another as best we can and pressing one another to grow in the image of Christ. And it's so appreciated by myself and the rest of the elders. The vast majority of you have walked in humility and in flexibility, looking to help and not hinder all that we are doing at this church. You've been so generous in your giving, and many of you have been willing to volunteer and serve in ways that might not bring much worldly glory, like sanitizing bathrooms. But you have done it, and you've done it with a happy heart. I've seen the love of Christ and passion for his gospel show up in big ways in this church, especially over the last year. And so I want to thank you for that personally, but also on behalf of the elders. And with that, now, as our background, I want to look forward into 2021 and enter into it with a passionate goal of honoring the Lord as holy. And as part of that, seeking his truth, so as we do, we will be built up into his image. And I want us to add one thing that has not been a huge emphasis over the last few years, because We've been trying to grow in health internally as a church. I want us to put our emphasis back onto evangelism in a big way. So many people are now and will be looking for answers for the pain that we have all felt that we need to be ready to call people into a relationship with Christ. Now, one of the things I've heard over the last few years is, Hans, your teachings are really good, but they're for people that have been Christians for a while. You use a lot of big words and it's not super easy to digest, and you go for like 50 minutes or an hour. Friends, realize that if you never bring people who are new believers, they will never learn those words. They will never learn to grow in their love of the word. I am not going to dilute what I do on Sundays so that all of you are dying for food and meat so that we can harvest in people who may or may not be serious about the gospel. But that doesn't mean you stop inviting them. You invite them, and then you show them with your life and your words that you are part of this community, and you draw them in. That's how we evangelize. And so this is something that I want us to focus on in 2021. And to do so, we need to be prepared to verbally proclaim the gospel, but also to live life in a way that communicates our hope is in Christ and his eternal salvation. Live life in a way that communicates our hope is in Christ and his eternal salvation. This is how Isaiah ends this small portion of text. Perhaps, for us, it is because of how our calendar is shaped or because we no, excuse me, notice, like our pagan ancestors before us, that the days are starting to get longer and spring is coming. But for some reason, we see the new year as a time to reprioritize and repurpose, to plan and set vision for ourselves, our families, our businesses, our places of work, and so this morning, I want us to take stock of where we have been in 2020 and ask the question of what our path should look like in 2021, Lord willing. Isaiah finishes his section that we've read this morning by saying, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. I wonder if we could just replace that house of Jacob with the United States or the world. Now, this is the heart of those who are truly in Christ, that we would hope in Christ. And I'm praying that this is the heart of mission fellowship, that we will wait for the Lord and hope in him alone. 
Many in the world are predicting a response to 2020 like the Roaring Twenties of the 1900s in the United States, where, as a response to the relief that World War I was over and the flu pandemic was subsiding, moral restraint in the U.S. was cast off and everyone decided that living a life of holiness was wasting their lives. So everybody tried to live their best life now. And so it was a time where the social justice gospel reigned over the one true gospel, because largely churches emptied as people went to pursue living their best life in a worldly fashion. And many others said, well, uh, we've ended the war, we've broken through flu, it's got to be all us now, so let's start doing the social justice gospel and we can fix everything. That was quickly shut down with a little thing called World War II when everyone realized that at the core of man's heart was nothing but depravity. And so the same things are creeping up again because those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And so we have to realize that we need to not do the same thing as the stresses of our previous year here starts to push us in a fashion like Ahaz that is against Yahweh. And so the question for us is, is our response to the struggles and pain and isolation of 2021, or of 2020, going to be like what many in the world are saying it will be? What will your response be? What are your benchmarks for stepping back into the fullness of your spiritual rhythm of life? Who has to tell you that it's time to start pursuing Jesus in bold fashion again? As life hopefully gets back to a pre-pandemic normal some months from now, are we going to find ourselves trying to make up for lost time and in so doing, deprioritizing the Lord and his place in our life? Or are we going to recognize that to a certain extent, the last year has actually been a wake-up call to how much we need to press into Christ and pursue him and honor him as holy every day of our lives? I pray for the latter for each of us in this church and our church as a whole. And so I want to ask you if you would join me in prayer for this church and for the people in it. If you've gotten lax in praying through those who are members and attendees in this church, jump into Breeze. You've got an electronic copy right there. Read through those folks and pray for them. Pray for us as a church. Pray that regardless of what comes our way, good or bad, in the coming months and year, that we are a church that will not walk in the way of the world but that we will be a people that honor the Lord of hosts as holy and live life in a way that communicates our hope is in Christ and his eternal salvation and nothing else. And would you also pray that as we elevate and honor Christ, that by our words and our actions, many would be drawn to Christ through this church so that we or another gospel-based and Bible-teaching church in town might disciple new believers, into eternal life. Can you pray with me on that? Let's be a people that unite together in pursuing the Lord, honoring him as holy, and stepping aside from what the world calls conspiracy and the, what the world finds its foundation in. Amen? Amen. Amen.